Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. I want you to go with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I want to read to you verse 17 and verse 18. Acts chapter 1, verse 17 and verse 18. These verses uh, is the obituary of Judas Iscariot. It says here in verse 17, For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. So, so this passage starts off pretty good. He was numbered among us. In, our, in other words, he was one of us. He was on our team. He was a part of our family. He was one of the 12 apostles. He discipleship discipled with Jesus. He walked with Jesus, walked with the disciples, ate dinner, had breakfast, hung out, participated in life with the 12. And it says, and he was allotted his share in the ministry. In other words, he was doing what we were doing. So he was involved in feeding of the 5,000. He was involved in the miracles. He was there when the waters were calmed. He was numbered among us. He's on our team. And he was allotted his share in the ministry. We did life together. And I suppose from this point, you can imagine that the scripture would go on and say he planted churches and he wrote books of the Bible and he raised up disciples and, uh, and he became a great legend. He became one of the fathers of the faith. But as it goes on, going like really good, all of a sudden it's just like it just takes a massive nasty turn. It's like going really good, and it's like, and it takes this massive turn, and this is what it says. It says, but he was acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. He was numbered among us, obtained a part in this ministry. So far, so good. But then it says, he acquired a field with the wages of his wickedness. I want to encourage you in life, be careful what you buy into. He acquired a field with the wages of his wickedness. If you don't know what his wickedness was, it was betraying Jesus. He acquired a field with the money that he got betraying Jesus. And then after that decision, it says he fell headlong. He burst open in the middle and his entrails gushed out. In summary, Judas's life started out fantastic, then he made some bad decisions, and his life ended up a mess. This is the sum total of Judas's obituary. And so today, I want to talk a message uh, that I've called the sum of an obituary. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, well, before you say it, I caution you. Caution you on how you say it. Be careful the pace you say it. Be careful what words you put the accentuation on. And try not to say it with an Australian accent. Um, Because this could go bad really quickly. But turn to your neighbor and go, you are the sum of an obituary. 
Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we love you. You're awesome. And you're already doing amazing things in this service. The atmosphere and the faith that's in the building, presence of Holy Spirit is incredible. And so work with us all today. Work with me to bring a message with fresh revelation and work with these men and women here to hear Holy Spirit, what you're saying to them as a church and individually in Jesus' name. And everyone said, some useless trivia that will benefit you. Nothing in life other than helping me start my message is uh, my birth name is not John Morgan. My birth name is Kerry, K-E-R-R-Y, Kerry John Morgan. Now, when I was 10, I made a decision to just go by John. The reason I did that was there were three students in my class with the name Kerry, and only one of us was a dude. Ecclesiastes 7 says in verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. My parents did not give me a good name. They gave me a girl's name. I asked my mother once, I said, what would make you take a beautiful eight-pound, six-ounce baby boy and give him a girl's name? And my mother said, God told me to call you Kerry. And I said, that's your problem. You've got bad hearing. He may have said, I'd be hairy. May have said, I'd be scary. Don't think he told you to call me Kerry. But when I, I thought about this recently, my mother was just ahead of her time. She was very 2020. She was very modern. She was very today. Because when you think about it, I've got the name Kerry, girl's name. And I've got the name John, boy's name. The girl's name probably cancels out the boy's name. So my name technically is gender neutral. How ahead of her time was my mother. I am the original baby. That's where it all started all those years ago. But parents do that. A good name is better. So is this talking about, you know, your parents should choose out some really incredible name for you? Generally, parents, we are pretty random. My eldest daughter is Sharia. Sharia got her name from a song. Uh, when I was a new Christian, Amy Grant's music really ministered to me as a, as a young Christian. And she brought out this song called Sharia. And I remember listening to the song going, that'll be a cool girl's name. And I'm going to call my daughter that, my firstborn. So my firstborn daughter is Sharia, S-H-A-R-A-Y-A-H. That's a mission, just to spell it. It's got like 14 syllables. And and I think it's cool, but for her, her whole life has been, people have called her Sharuru, Sharara, you know, they don't know how to pronounce it. Sharura, Rurura, you know, people think they're speaking in tongues and get baptized in the Holy Ghost when they say her name. Um, I, I, I was at a church in Australia, and there was this family, and their surname was Down. And they named their children. You've got to understand, these parents had a sick sense of humor. This is legit. They named their children Ben and Neil. Ben down and Neil down. (laughs) 
a good name is better than precious ointment. And look at this. And the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. Now that last bit there seems a little weird. The day of your death better than the day of your birth. I'm pretty sure that we celebrate the birth of somebody with a lot more joy than we celebrate their passing. So it just seems weird that this verse would end up like that. But the end of the verse gives context to the beginning of the verse. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Because on the day that you are born, you are given a name. On the day of your death, you give your name meaning. On the day of your birth, your parents give you a name. I am John Morgan. On the day of my passing, my name, John Morgan, will give memory. When people say my name, it'll have the, the memory, the, the feelings, the associations connected with my, with my name. And when you say somebody's name, it usually is connected with all of those things. Judas's obituary says he was numbered among us. He allotted a part in the ministry. It goes on and says, but he purchased a field with the wages of iniquity or the wages of his, of his wickedness. We know that he was the one who betrayed Jesus. We also know that he fell headlong, burst open in the middle, and his entrails gushed out. This is the, this is the obituary connected to the name of Judas. And so the name of Judas is not, doesn't come with good feelings, when Christians are looking in the Bible, trying to find a name for their son, not too many go with Judas. Why? Because there's a, a feeling, a memory, a legacy attached to the name. So when you say Judas, you think certain things. If you call somebody a Judas, then they probably think that you're calling them a betrayer because there's a connotation attached to it. In, in, in fact, in the Bible, there's another man in the New Testament called Judas. But when Mark mentions him, Mark calls him Judas, not Iscariot. It's almost like that Judas went up to Mark and he's like, hey man, I know you're going to mention me in your gospel. So this is what I'd like you to do. I don't want to be confused with the other guy. So if you don't mind, when you mention me, can you call me Judas, not Iscariot? Don't want anybody to get us confused. That would be a little bit like if your name was Adolf and you introduced yourself as Adolf, not Hitler. I, I am Attila, not the Hun. I am Hillary, not Duff. somebody whose life started out with so much potential end up in such a bad space? I, 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 I want to return what do I believe would be the scene of the crime. Judas is at Simon the leper's house, and we pick up the story in Mark chapter 14, verse 3. It says, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at a table, 
a woman came having an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who were indignant. There were some who were indignantly asked themselves, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, that's about a year's salary, and given to the poor. And they scolded her. They're indignant, they're angry, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, everyone say, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you not always have me. She's done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Here's some things that I believe from this passage that have the potential to soil your legacy. And the first was something like this. Just being easily offended. Ha having, having a spirit that is easily offendable. The Bible says here, they said to themselves indignantly. So they were offended. They were indignant. They were angry. They were mortified. They were upset. Said to themselves indignantly, why was this oil wasted like that? Her action offended them. They were angry at what she did. They were offended by her behavior. And they were angry. These guys were offended by her generous action. I, I, I want to encourage you in life not to live your life where you are easily offended by the actions of other people. You, you need to live your life above the fray. Listen, the reality is people are going to do things. Some people are going to do it deliberately. Some people are going to do it accidentally. But things are going to happen in life that have the potential to offend you, have the potential to hurt you, have the potential to upset you. And while you can't stop doing, while you can't stop people doing what they're going to do, you can control your response. You can't always control what happens to you but you can control what happens through you. I believe that being offended is a choice. I believe that being offended is a decision. And the way society has set us up right now with political correctness, it's almost like people are looking for an opportunity to be offended. Thing, things that never used to offend people now offend people. Things that we, we would do before, ah, maybe that's not nice or that's not, but, but now it's offensive. Now, now it, it, it hurts you. Now, now it gets in deep into your spirit. And it's almost like we've cultivated a generation where our, our skin is so soft, it's causing our hearts to get hard. 
But Jesus teaches us to have a skin that's hard and a heart that's soft. He said, when I pray, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. When did Jesus forgive your sins? 2,000 years ago. When you ask for forgiveness, he's not thinking it through because he's already forgiven you. He forgave you on the cross. When you ask for forgiveness, you're engaging something he's already done. And so when we forgive, we need to forgive people before they've said anything. We need to forgive people before they've done anything. We need to have a spirit that's not easily offended. I believe offense is a choice. You may have heard me say this before, but in Chicago, if I use a foreign accent in my message, they'll, they'll edit that out of the podcast as not to offend people of that culture. If I do an Asian accent, they don't want to offend Asians with me trying to sound like them. I think it's funny because not only Asians get offended, but not Asians get, they get offended because I'm sounding like an Asian. But I would encourage you, whether you're Asian or not, if somebody does an accent in something that's funny, it's not offensive, it's funny. Every week someone's trying to do an Australian accent to me. G'day, mate, how you going? Chuck another shrimp on the bye-bye, you know. And I'm not offended. I just think it's funny. If you invite me to Outback Steakhouse, I don't class that as racism. I think I'm going to get a free meal. I'm happy. I'm a white person. If you take me to crack a barrel, I don't even find that offensive. I'm going to get breakfast. Uncle Herschel's favorite. Grilled chicken strips, not fried. And the apple casserole thing, which is awesome. Just a suggestion. But people are so offended now. It's like, well, like, like I was watching this video on YouTube the other week, and this woman's coming out of this mall or something, like out of a Walmart, and she had three plasma TVs on, on her cart. And you know they've handed her a receipt when she purchased the three plasma TVs and she's put it in a pocket, I don't think she could have lost it from the, the counter to the door. It's fairly light. She put it in the pocket and she's got it. And she gets to the door and the guy in security says, ma'am, may I have a look at the receipt? Answer to this question is, yes, sir. Here's my receipt. He looks at the receipt, goes, yes, that's right. He marks it and you go on your way and have a wonderful day. That's all the effort it would have taken. But this woman's like, what? You want to see my what? You want to see my I'm not showing you my receipt. She just lost her mind. I show the man the receipt. He purchased the TVs. Why would you be offended? She's offended. You think I'm a thief? No, we don't think you're a thief. We just think thieves happen. Show us you're not one. It's not a big deal. Show the receipt. Just too easily offended. Second thing in this would be this. Uh, a, a, a contaminated opinion. A contaminated opinion will soil your legacy. Because if you're already operating in offense, you're already offended. It's going to impact your thinking. 
If you're already offended, your soul is compromised. Your mind, your will, and emotions is not in a healthy place. And so it's going to impact your opinion. Today, opinions are fairly important. Some years ago, the number one job students wanted, little people, little kids in elementary school, would to be, to be an astronaut. Today, it's to be a video blogger because they want their opinion. Bible says here that they could have sold, that they said this oil could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and it could have been given to the poor. They had an opinion. This is what we think you do. This is what we think you should do. And so they're already offended at her action and now it's led them to an opinion, well, you should have given this to the poor. You don't care about the poor. We care about the poor. Here's a problem with their opinion. Their opinion sounds holy. Their opinion sounds like, like you should do this. But they're making a decision on what she should do with her money. Like it's her money. This is her possession. They don't really get a choice. Like, like would they be happy if she said, well, okay, show me what you've given in the last couple of months and let me look at your giving record? Well, they, well, that's none of your opinion. That's none of your. Yeah, they're making her giving their business. You know what I'm saying? And they're 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 ag aggravated at this extravagant giving, and, and they've got an opinion that may change. I want to encourage you: don't break relationship over opinion, because with a little bit more information, every opinion can change. You may not have all the information on hand. As a show of hands, just across it, not a trick question. I think the answer is fairly easy. It would be a yes, just in case you're trying to work out the answer. But just a show of hands, in the church today, as we read the story, do you and I think that this woman did, knowing who Jesus is, knowing what Jesus did on the cross for us, knowing the hope that he's given us in life, is there anybody here today that would say, I'm not angry at what this woman did? Lift up your hand. You're not angry. You think that Jesus deserved it. Give me a wave of your hand. Jesus is watching. <laughs> Lift your hand a bit high. He can't see it. Lift up your hand. He's looking at those whose hands are down. Because we know what he did on the cross. Here's what I'd suggest. If we were in the room, we would have been one of them. Because they're all angry on Tuesday, but Jesus passed on Friday. That was the Tuesday of the Passion Week. They're all angry at the extravagant waste on Tuesday, but I promise you on the Saturday, when they saw Jesus go to the cross, no one was angry at that point. Opinions change with a little bit more. Don't break relationship over opinion. Here's the third thing that they did, was it was obstinate and objectionable behavior. The Bible says here, and they scolded her. Another translation says, they criticized her sharply. So, so this is just like a, 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 a momentum. You have a bruised spirit, a critical attitude. You're offended. It leads you to an opinion. And your opinion then causes you to have objectionable behavior. Have you noticed on social media how crazy people get in arguments today? Have you, ever, have you ever posted something 
that somebody has a difference of an opinion than you and then just watch it get out of hand, like the comments that they say? Have you ever, anybody ever had that happen? And you think to yourself, would you say that to my face? Like, you are all bold behind your computer thousands of miles away. I just want to know whether you would say that in, 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 in front of me. My father-in-law posts random stuff. And so he posted recently, if Kanye runs for president in 2024, I'm going to vote for him. We don't even know if he's running. So it's sort of like a moot point. It doesn't really matter. One woman got on there and she got quite abusive. She's in her 50s. She's a Christian woman. Another woman got on there and she was like, please don't be disrespectful to the president and don't be disrespectful to my, my, my pastor and, uh, and, you know, sort of like whatever. Well, this other woman in her 50s lost her mind. I would love to read to you her Facebook post, but I can't do it in church. Some of the nicest comments she said were things like, bite me one. You stepped into this ring, you picked the fight. Things like that. This is a godly woman. Just become objectionable. I somehow have got connected to the United Airlines Twitter feed for complaints. I don't know how, but I find it a little entertaining. And a couple of weeks ago, this guy posted this, 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 this uh, tweet that started off like with cuss words and craziness. The, the tweet just started, it, just, it, just, it, started, it started at 100 mile an hour. It wasn't like, dear United, I'm slightly annoyed, da 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 didn't start, didn't I? No, it's more like, it's like from the beginning. Just, and, his, and, 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 and his whole point was his flight was delayed two hours. Just like lost his mind. And I thought to myself, take a chill pill. It's two hours. And I know that's inconvenient. But it wasn't that long ago that if you wanted to go from New York to Sydney, you would have to get in a stagecoach and you would have to cruise across the country for weeks on end to finally get to Los Angeles to get in a ship and sail for months and possibly die of scurvy. And we've inconvenienced you two hours. Listen, you just don't need to get angry. Don't need to get so angry at people. Learn to calm down. Learn to get a nice spirit. Because here's what's happened. When you are wounded in your spirit and you're offended, and then you overemphasize your opinion, and now you start to become objectionable. This is what's happening with Judas. Now you walk out of that way seeking an opportunity to betray. And when you seek an opportunity to betray, it's amazing how quickly you'll find people around you who will reinforce that feeling. He goes out of the room, he's offended, he's angry, he's, he's, he's you know, this woman's crazy, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. And, and, and with that, quickly he found some people who were willing to buy into the offense with him. 
and pay him money to betray Jesus. And then it said, he just waited for an opportunity. See, you can be in somebody's life angry, offended, wounded, and just waiting for an opportunity to disconnect. Waiting for an opportunity to divorce. Waiting for an opportunity to leave. Waiting for an opportunity to get angry because your soul has been compromised. When you get like this, relationships are destroyed, behavior is soiled, offense, anger, and arguments and criticism become stock standard with your life. And we have a legacy. But it becomes a legacy of smudges, stains, sore spots, and scars. And that's the sum total of Judas's obituary. How, how do we live a life that writes a great obituary? Or more importantly, how do we have an obituary that would be endorsed by Jesus? Look at the other player in the story, the woman with the alabaster flask. Jesus said about her that she has done a beautiful thing for me. I want to encourage you, have a passion for life. Have a passion to live a wonderful life. Have a passion to have a beautiful spirit. The Message Bible translated it this way. She has done something wonderfully significant for me. The Passion Translation says, She has honored me with this beautiful act of kindness. She has done a beautiful thing for me. Jesus noted, this, this was nice. This was special. This was different. This was above average. This was different than everybody else. She has done, it made Jesus feel fantastic. Make a decision to live a beautiful life. Make a decision. I will not sacrifice great relationships over opinion. There's no line in heaven for correct people. Make a decision. I will not allow myself the luxury to be hurt, wounded, or offended. I will not allow myself to be objectionable in my behavior. Anger is a wasted emotion. Often filled with regret. Don't allow yourself to put yourself above others. Live a beautiful, spectacular life that does beautiful things for others. Second thing, if you want an obituary endorsed by Jesus, is live intentionally generous. Be intentional about generosity. She did what she could. She did what she could. God only ever asked us to do what we can do. You just have to make a decision, what's generous for you? There's a woman in the Bible, and she gave a widow's mite. She did what she could. She's remembered for her generosity. This woman gave a year's wages. She did what she could. She was remembered for being generous. Nothing about her action was accidental. Some Bible scholars say she may not have even been invited to Simon the leper's house on this night. She gate-crashed the party. 
But when she came there, she didn't pull out a little bottle of perfume that she carried everywhere. No, she went and got her most precious possession from home, her alabaster flask of very, very costly nard. And she went to the house with one purpose. She wasn't carrying it around, just dabbing it on people to make them smell better. No, she went to the house with one specific thing in mind. When I get there, I'm going to break this. I'm going to pour it out all over Jesus. I'm going to anoint him with this beautiful perfume. I'm going to do a random act of kindness. I'm going to come and love on him. She, everything about what she did was deliberate. It was an intentional action. I want to encourage you, if you want to live generously, you just got to make premeditated decisions to live generously. Paul wrote it like this, I want you to have all the time you need to make this offering in your own way. I don't want anything forced or hurried at the last minute. Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop and a lavish planter gets a lavish crop. How can we have, be a lavish planter? Goes on. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. This will protect you against sob stories, arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in giving. So how can you be generous and how can you delight in being generous? How can you be happy with your generosity? Well, just make decisions. What's generous for me? When, when, they, when they built the tabernacle in the Old Testament, Moses came with a shopping list. We've got a building project. It's around about a $90 million building project for a tent. He just came to the people of God and said, listen, we need, we need you to help. And we need gold, we need silver, we need bronze, we need ramskins, we need wood. Have a shopping list. And then Moses sent them home. They all just went back to their house and they looked through what they had and they weren't worried about what they didn't have. They just looked at what they did have. And they were able to come and they were able to bring what they did have. And they were able to give generously. That's the heart of generosity is premeditated. It's very rarely a whim. And they were so generous that the builders had to come to Moses and say, the people are giving too much. Please tell them to stop giving. We have more materials than we need. Why? Because they're able to do it premeditated. So make choices on what you're going to give. If you've been in church any length of time, you know that every Sunday we're taking up tithes and offerings. When the offering comes, you shouldn't be like, oh, when do we start doing this? like every week, and you already have, you already know the ways to give. If you've been in church any length of time, you've selected a way to give. I give by push pay. I tithe every week to my church. I love push pay. Number one, my tithe's already set up. I don't have to enter anything in. It remembers the number. And so I open the app, the number comes up, I hit the button, I tithe to my church, whether I'm at church or not. I'm here today. I tithe to my church today while you are receiving your offering. I tithe to my church. Why? Because I want to be generous to the house of God. God may not need my money, but God's plan needs my money. His church needs my money. This doesn't come for free. We have to pay an electrical bill. 
We have to pay staff. It costs money to run the church. And so I want to be a part of my local church's vision, and I'm a tither. And I've been a tither for as long as I can remember, probably my early days as a Christian. You may not be one yet, and that's your decision, but you need to make your own decision on how are you going to be generous to the house of God. You'll make that choice. I can't make the choice for you. When I give to guest speakers, or I give at a conference, or I give in a special offering, we've got a building project on at the moment, and in our building project, one of the givers in our building project gave a gift of $2 million. I can't do that. I'd love to be able to do it. I don't have a spare $2 million. Am I intimidated by that? No, because God didn't ask me to give what he gave. God just asked my wife and I to give what we could do. And so we made a generous gift from my wife and I that we're going to give. And our gift is as important as his gift because they're both made out of acts of generosity. I don't feel bad. I feel good. It's a stretch of faith. And I can be generous. I don't feel ripped off by the church. When I go downtown Chicago, I know I'm going to meet homeless people. And so I take homeless people money with me that I can give when I'm downtown Chicago so I don't have to say, no, I've only got a credit card. I can say, yes, I can give you some money because I've already taken it out of the bank and I can be generous to them because I've made a predetermined decision. I want to encourage you, make predetermined decisions of generosity in every area of your life. Not just money, but with your time, with your words, with your encouragement. Just make a decision. You're going to live a life bigger than average. Be the person that says thank you more than anybody else. Be the person that says I appreciate you more than anybody else. When I get off an airplane, I'm going to say thank you for serving me today. Thank you. for have, a, have an amazing day. I don't care if no one else says it. I'm going to say it as I go out. Why? Because I made a predetermined decision to be generous in every aspect of my life. Here's another thought. Maximize every opportunity you have to do good. Maximize your moments. Bible says here, she has, just what Jesus said, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Think about this. They're angry, and Jesus' answer to her them is, shush. She's anointed my body, everyone say beforehand. For burial. Two Marys ran to the tomb. One objection, objective. Anoint the body of Jesus for burial. When they got there, he was gone. And the angel said, what do you want to do? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He's not here, he's risen. Only one woman is recorded for anointing the body of Jesus for burial. And it was this woman. Every opportunity you have to do good comes with a use-by date. The opportunity of a lifetime exists in the lifetime of the opportunity. Every opportunity you have to be kind to your parents comes with a use-by date. Every opportunity you have to be kind and good to your children comes with a use-by date. Every opportunity you have to be kind to each other, kind to your boss, kind to your neighbors, kind to your friends, kind to your siblings, 
Every opportunity you have to do good comes to you with a use-by date. When you make a predetermined decision to be generous, you want to maximize every moment. Every day, I thank my wife for marrying me. Every day, thank you, babe, for marrying me. And I appreciate it. You had a choice. And I'm glad that you said yes. I'm glad that God blinded you a little bit on that day. And you didn't really know what you were looking at. But you said yes. I, I, I love, and, I, and I, my life is blessed because of her. I, every day I want to tell you, you're beautiful. You're amazing. You're spectacular. You, you know, I, I text throughout the day. You just found, I, want to, I, I never want to miss a moment because I may not have that forever. I do the same with my daughters. I try at least every day, either call them or text them or send a message. I love you. You're beautiful. You're amazing. I love being your dad. You are my happy dance. Every day, I try to tell them something to encourage them. Why? Because I don't always have that. Some horrible man is going to come along at some point and be the main man in their life. And I don't like that at all. But, <laughs> but it's going to happen. I, I don't always have that opportunity. You know what I'm saying? And so I want to encourage you in the world around you. Learn how to thank people. We had a couple in our church in New Zealand when I was pastoring. This is back in the 90s. And last year, uh, the uh, wife uh, came down with pancreatic cancer. And it might have been the year before, came down with pancreatic cancer and was only given a short time to live. And so they did a journey to Los Angeles with their family, went to Disney. They, they did a family time. And so I heard about it and I said, I'm going to fly out from Chicago and just come and hang with you a day. I just want to come and hang with your family. You served our church great. And, you know, I appreciate you. And I, so I just, I, I flew out from Chicago to hang with them a day, to honor them and like, while I had the moment. And so I'm glad I, I, I'm, I'm glad I did that. But on Facebook one day, my, my friend Tony said that, that his wife Sue only had about three days to live. And thought, I thought to myself, you know what, I need to send a video. There was something that they did in our church that sticks out as a highlight memory. And I'd love just to send a video to them saying, you know, I remember this moment and you may have forgotten it, but you know, it meant a lot to me and I want to thank you. So I recorded it, but I wasn't really happy the way the recording came out. And he said that she had three days to live. And, and so I thought, oh, I'll just do it in the morning. When I woke up in the morning, he posted on the Facebook that she'd passed that night. And I just missed my opportunity. I hate things like that. Don't miss them. Maximize every moment that you have to do good. What we do leaves behind great things. Love, love, love above normal. Live above, uh, you know, live above blah. Be a person that brings life and love to everybody's life. And here's the fourth thought, last thought as they come up and play something unbelievably romantic behind me in the music. Live a life so large that it reverberates beyond the grave. Live a life so large that it makes you uneasy to forget, easily memorable. Live a life so large that when people reflect on your life, that it brings back great memories. It brings a smile, not a stain. 
It brings a laugh, not a groan. It brings words of, you know, edification. You get to write your obituary. We should desire to leave a legacy that influences others for better, illustrates the magnificent life we get to live as Christ followers, inspires generational generosity, and illuminates the goodness of Jesus. This should be the sum total of our obituary. I've, I've done some crazy things as a youth pastor. I've broken people's bones. I've got them to eat incredibly inedible food. Um, probably the craziest thing I ever did was stage my own funeral. Yeah, I know now it wasn't all that good, but we, we, we started our youth service and I, I, I hid in a, in a compartment I built in the stage. I hid three hours before the youth service so no one could see me. They, they didn't see me in the lobby. They didn't see me around. We started the youth service out very, very somber. The assistant youth pastor came up and he said, as you know, tragically, this week, Pastor John Morgan passed. You hear, and then we wheeled this coffin out and we did my funeral service. We had obituaries where people read stuff, and had this really cool video with one sweet day playing in the background and video footage of me and my kids and me and my wife. And even though my, my two eldest daughters were in the service and they knew I wasn't dead, they were crying all through the video which just added to the effect so brilliantly. About halfway through the service, I jumped out, I'm not dead. I think somebody yelled out, I want to kill you. There's a sigh of relief. And I just preached this message of live your life like you want people to remember you. And I talked about the video. I said, I made that video. I put it all together, picked the song, clips, I edited it, made the video. The speech that Tyler read, I, I wrote that speech. That wasn't his. That, I, I wrote every, everything you heard in the last 20 minutes or so. I, I actually wrote it because that's how I'd want to be remembered. Live your life like you want to be remembered. You have a birth date and you have a death date. And the little dash in between is the life that becomes the sum total of your obituary. The day of your death is better than the day of your birth because of the good name that you have created for yourself. What will people remember when you go home to glory? What will people remember the day they get to meditate on the life that you lived? You get to choose. You get to choose. Let's pray. Father, whether we're in this room right now or watching by way of streaming or YouTube, Speak to our hearts. Speak to our heart right where we're at right now. Put a spotlight on the areas where we're living below standard. 
put a spotlight on the areas where we're angry and offended and bitter. Put a spotlight in the areas where we haven't forgiven and we're resentful and just agitated. Put a spotlight on the areas of our life where we have regret. Regret for things that we've said and never fixed it. Regret for things that we've done and never fixed it. Regret for ways that we've behaved, never asked for forgiveness. Help us see those areas where we've missed the mark and turn it around. We thank you that you're the God of brand new beginnings. We thank you that you're the God of a fresh start. We thank you that you're the God of a do-over, that you help us and allow us to repent, change direction, and head in a brand new way. We thank you for that gift of a fresh start and a new beginning. Forgiveness, renewal, healing. And I ask you, God, to release that gift in this place right now. Release it in this building. Release it in homes. Release it in the workplace. Release it uh, in the car, wherever people are watching, listening, or engaging with this message right now. Minister us, Holy Spirit, we pray. you're here today and maybe you look at your life and you're like, man, I, I need to turn this boy around, this bad boy around. I'm, I've been heading in the wrong direction. The good news is you're only ever one prayer away from a fresh start. The Bible says repent and be converted. That word repent is a Greek word metanoia and it just simply means to change direction, to turn around, to go the opposite. You're heading east, now you're going to head west. Repent and be converted. It's hard to be converted, to be changed, to be different if you keep going in the same direction. Repent, be converted, that rivers of refreshing, that fresh life, fresh grace, fresh mercy, fresh love, fresh opportunity would flow from the presence of the Lord. God's got freshness for you. God's got a new future for you. God's got new hope for you. God's got healing for you. God wants to do all that in your world. But it just begins with you saying, I don't like the direction my life is going and I want to turn it around. You can turn it around with a prayer today. God will hear your prayer and He'll help you. God will hear your prayer and He'll heal you. God will heal your prayer and He'll answer it today.